Cause we got the alternative energy Molecular free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show I'm Michaela The red alert headlines in mainstream papers on Tuesday 7th of March signalled a new big military spend was going to be announced and sure enough the following day began a series of articles promoting and attempting to convince the public of the necessity for spending a mind-boggling $368 billion on nuclear submarines. These were alongside photos of gleefully grinning faces of Anthony Albanese, Joe Biden and Sunak Rishi. The nuclear submarines are the centrepiece of the AUKUS deal that was signed in September 2021. A new security pact between Australia, the United States and Britain that is focused on maintaining domination in the Indo-Pacific region. There are many rallies happening across this weekend and for the listeners in Melbourne, we hope to see you down at the State Library from 1pm for the Call for Peace, Truth Not War rally. The US and the UK under AUKUS are pushing Australia into another imperialist war. At the same time, whistleblowers who expose war crimes are jailed. Come to the rally and march for peace, truth, not war. 18th of March, beginning at 1pm State Library, marching to Treasury Gardens. Help build a people's movement for peace. No AUKUS Roundtable is a 3CR supporter. On today's program, Crunch speaks with Michelle Fay, independent journalist who has been researching the links between the arms industry and the Australian government since 2009. But first up, let's hear Vince Scapatura outlining some of the details of the project. We were expecting an announcement on the implementation of the AUKUS Pact 18 months ago. We first learned quite abruptly that uh, the Scott Morrison government had been working with uh, the US and UK in secret for the previous uh, nine months to a year to ditch the existing submarine agreement that we had with France for a non-nuclear-powered submarine uh, to instead go with the United States and the UK with a novel uh, new uh, nuclear-powered Submarine. So that announcement was made 18 months ago, but there was no, no details about it. Uh, there was no consultation. There was no attempt to ask the Australian public if we wanted indeed to go down this track. It was just uh, an announcement and presented to us as a fait accompli. Uh, and then the government said we'd need to spend the next 18 months to work out the details because presumably they haven't done any of the uh, background work necessary to figure out how we were going to implement such a monumental um, industrial kind of uh, project. And so this is what we were waiting for, and this is what we, uh, we, we got recently with the joint announcement from now Prime Minister Albanese, uh, Joe Biden in the US and Rishi Sunak in the UK. And basically it's, it's a very kind of convoluted, complex kind of arrangement as a result of delays on the part of Australia in making a decision about, about what to do with the future submarine program as our Collins-class submarines get older and need to be retired. So basically the idea is that... Uh, Initially, uh, Australia is going to be host to increasing visits 
uh, starting immediately, actually, uh, from uh, US nuclear-powered submarines to our uh, nuclear, sorry, to our naval bases in Australia, particularly uh, in the West. Um, and then eventually, in five years' time, um, after some infrastructure upgrades, um, Australia is going to post to a forward base for four, at least four US nuclear-powered submarines and one um, British nuclear-powered submarine. Uh, so that's going to be an additional submarine capacity of the United States and the UK in the Indo-Pacific region, and we will be with forward base of operations for that. So that means um, not just visiting US subs, which we've had for many years, but an actual forward base where we will be uh, involved in you know, uh, maintenance and resupply, and uh, yeah, there'll have to be significant upgrades in order to um, host these uh, forward base submarines for longer. So that's, that's going to start in, in kind of five years' time, the forward base. Five years from then, so about a decade from now, uh, we're going to be purchasing second-hand uh, used U.S. nuclear-powered Virginia-class uh, submarines. So uh, we're going to purchase around three of them, maybe a couple more, depending upon um, how the next phase of development goes. Uh, the next phase of development is to purchase uh, a new class of submarine that will be um, uh, manufactured or built firstly in the U.K. and then at a later date in Australia. This is called a, uh, an AUKUS-class nuclear-powered submarine. It's a new design based on the British, existing British designs for a, a new class of submarine. And we're going to be purchasing presumably around eight of them. And eventually the build will occur in Australia at some point, uh, but the first ones will come off, come off the line uh, of, the, of the British manufacturing process. And on top of all of that, we'll be investing in the industrial capacity of the United States and the UK so that they can make these submarines for us because uh, the US especially doesn't need to have the capacity to make enough submarines to meet its own demand. So we're going to be subsidising the industrial capacity of the United States in particular and then purchasing those submarines from the US, those Virginia class, before we get the new class ones um, and eventually being able to build those ones here in Australia. But it's, you know, by the time we get the last of these, you know, 11 or 12 submarines in total, it's going to be about 30 years uh, to the tune of an eye-watering $368 billion and, and probably much more than that given costs usually blow out in these types of defence projects. That was Vince Scapatura who teaches politics and international relations at Macquarie University and his research interests include Australian and American foreign policies, international relations of the Asia-Pacific and Middle East politics and he is a member of the Independent and Peaceful Australian Network and a supporter of the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons. And we'll bring you more discussions with Vince on next week's show. But let's go now to Crunch, speaking with independent journalist Michelle Fay. Hi, I'm speaking to Michelle Fay. And Michelle, you undertake independent Australian arms industry research and reporting. Thanks for joining us on the Radioactive Show. Would you be able to start out by um, sharing with us some of your background in these areas of research and what exactly um, is meant by this field of research? What I do in the main is look at the relationship between the Australian government and the arms industry. Um, and by that, I look at it from a, um, a perspective where I'm scrutinising what's happening the arms industry is well known globally for high levels of corruption. Uh, it's also the relationship between government and the arms industry is also well known for being highly secretive. So it's very difficult to find out information. 
particularly in Australia, our media doesn't actually scrutinise it as closely as I believe it ought to, which is why I started working in this area to get a few more of the details out into the public realm of what is happening. Mm, Thank you. And I'm interested, so it sounds like there's challenges in undertaking research in these areas. Have you done that with the backing of um, universities or media outlets or how, how have you undergone that work? Where I started originally was um, I was volunteering with NGOs focused on peace and disarmament and also I worked on a campaign to for Australia to do strong legislation ratifying the cluster bomb ban treaty mm. and that's when I started to see the relationships, um, what's called the revolving door, which means people moving from defence and government or the military into the arms industry. And it was quite pronounced and I noticed that very quickly, but it really doesn't get covered here. So I came from that perspective, a a sort of um, working on disarmament type campaigns. I currently publish my work with independent media Uh, The mainstream media is far less interested or has been so far in um, publishing this kind of detailed research on revolving door and um, conflicts of interest and that kind of thing. Yes, thanks, Michelle. And, of course, 3CR is proudly independent and um, we're very interested to cover these stories. Um, And recently I think listeners will no doubt be aware of the Albanese government's announcements to continue to back the purchase of nuclear submarines from the USA and UK, and we've heard how they plan to spend up to $368 billion to 2050. These figures, of course, do seem quite incredible when we hear them, and they have hit the mainstream media in recent weeks. But um, huge arms spending isn't new, and in your research, can you describe a bit for us how armament spending in Australia has tracked over the years? Basically what's happened, to put it in a nutshell, is it really took a great leap up in um, 2016 when the Liberal government um, dedicated an extra $270 billion at that point in time. Well, actually, Malcolm Turnbull um, allocated $190 billion extra over and above the normal um, defence budget. And then when Scott Morrison came in, he increased it to $270 billion. So that's where the number, uh, and so together with the normal defence budget and then that extra spending on top, it put Australia's spend for the decade to $575 billion on defence until recently. So now with the... uh, announcement from um, Prime Minister Albanese, it's gone up to, it's 368 billion just on the submarines. So that's an extraordinarily large amount of money, as everyone would be aware. Um, I was interested to see an opinion piece in the Sydney Morning Herald, I think it was yesterday, um, by a former diplomat of Australia, and he said it's the single largest transfer of wealth from Australia to another nation in our history and that you have to go back to colonial days to find any similarly large 
proportion of um, spend. So that that's the significance of this three hundred and sixty eight billion. It's a massive amount of money. Yeah, that's that's striking. Um, I understand that there was an expose in the Washington Post late last year of a large number of US Navy officials um, who were hired in Australia to advise defence and the government on the submarine program. What influence do you think these personnel could have had and how are their roles justified within government spending? Um, would they have been employed by the Department of Defence or how, how does those kind of operations function? Yes, that was a story by the Washington Post and what they uncovered was a lot of, it was about a dozen of former, like retired US Navy admirals um, and a couple other senior officials were working in Australia for defence. They were on contracts and it was around the naval shipbuilding plan and um, the uh, task force that had been put together by defence to advise on naval shipbuilding issues. So there was this group of former, very senior um, US Navy officials here advising defence. So there wasn't much known. uh, This is part of the problem um, with defence issues. A lot of stuff is just kept secret so people don't know. Um, Some of the members had been made public but there had been no scrutiny about it. You know, it's on a website but the media hadn't done any major reporting on it. So that came out in the Washington Post. Um, when that came out in the Washington Post, there was a bit of commentary, again, mostly in the independent media that I saw um, on the level of influence those official, former officials and former military officers would have had on the decision by Australia to um, axe the French submarine program and the start of AUKUS. And so those Australian defence independent defence experts were saying um, that, you know, it cast that whole deal in a different light once they knew the extent of um, US involvement behind the scenes. Mm. And yet, as you say, um, despite obviously the story being out as exposed by the Washington Post, it wasn't really scrutinised through Australian media? Not in any great degree, and it really, this is a, an ongoing problem in Australia. Um, I don't know what it is, but, we, you know, all the major outlets have defence correspondence, but whether they're all just too busy these days or whatever, but really it's a huge procurement area. It's the most, it's the single largest procurement uh, is defence in Australia, and we really have an appalling lack of scrutiny of vast sums of money. So, um, yeah, it, it is a lack here, and um, it's something that's been ongoing for some time. Mm. Yeah, it seems especially stark when we see, you know, a commission into the robo-debt um, operating of Centrelink and that there was trying to reclaim debt from some of the most, um, yeah, the most already marginalised in our community and yet these excessive amounts of money um, managed to be fairly unquestioned. Um, I know a lot of arguments have been, um, I've heard people make the arguments this week about that 
uh, $368 billion and what else it could be spent on. It's, it, it just, it's the mainstream media don't really seem to be picking up that type of argument, um, even though it just seems when we're, our society is under so much strain in so many um, areas at the moment, it just seems like such an important argument to be made, but it's almost like it's a, it's kind of fanciful thinking that that, that money could be spent on anything else. Uh, look, I 100% agree with you about um, it's crossed my mind as well about robo-debt and the extent that the government was willing to go to recover um, relatively, it, it, compared to defence expenditure, let's say relatively small amounts of money from people who were already struggling. Um, it's even made more stark to me when you consider last year, uh, not long after Richard Miles came in as Defence Minister, he announces that defence procurement projects are running a cumulative century behind schedule, $7 billion over budget, and then he called it a systemic problem, but then immediately um, let the Department of Defence and the industry, the arms industry off the hook and just blamed the previous government. Mm. I mean, and that's a pass for accountability, whereas look the extent they went to with robo-debt to try and, you know, it just, I, I think you've pinpointed it just um, an extreme difference uh, that should not stand in a democracy. It just It's just ridiculous. And um, there have been some calls for also a Royal Commission into defence procurement, which I really support because it's... Uh, ongoing secrecy, ongoing debacles, ongoing billions of dollars, and there are some serious problems, um, systemic problems that do need to be looked at closely, and a Royal Commission is a good idea. Mm. This is the Radioactive Show produced in the studios of 3CR on the unceded lands of the Kulin Nation and broadcast across the continent thanks to the Community Radio Network. We're hearing a conversation between Crunch and Michelle Fay. In terms of media reporting, we've also seen mainstream media produce some very alarmist reporting regarding China and its supposed military gearing towards war. How would you describe this recent reporting and is it balanced? What, what other sides of the story are there to tell? Um, that's a very good question. So it's not balanced in my view. So what what gets left out um, all the time in these reports is the broader context. So, yes, China is building up its uh, military expenditure and that is happening, but it's also happening globally. Um, the trajectory of arms sales and spending is increasing. But there are a couple of, I mean, I won't get into all the numbers and sort of boggle everyone's minds, but um, there's a, a couple of things I can mention here. So world military spending passed um, $2.2 trillion, um, at the end of 2021. That's the most avail recent available figures. So of the 2.2 trillion US that's being spent on military expenditure, the US is 801 billion and China is second 
and its number is 293 billion US expenditure. So there's a huge difference between the two. So China's number is rising and the US is holding steady or it went down a touch like 1% last year, but it dwarfs the amount it spends on military expenditure. It completely dwarfs what China spends. Mm. In terms of um, the subset of arms sales in the world, the difference is even more stark and this never gets covered in our media here. So I think it's worth me giving you a couple of numbers. Um, the USA, in terms of global arms sales, the USA on its own accounts for 51% of the armaments that are sold in the world. Um, China is second again. It accounts for 18% of sales global of sales globally. Um, then you've got European and other countries, but um, the top 10 of the top 10 countries, China and Russia together account for 21% of global arms sales. And the rest of, say, the top 10 are all um, NATO countries or US friendly countries. So the, the remainder is um, US or allies of the US or NATO. Again, that's the sort of the context of global arms sales. So it's severely dominated, like extremely so, by the USA. Of the top 10 arms selling companies in the world, the top five of them are all US companies. And then the sixth one is BAE, which is a UK company. And after that, the next four are Chinese companies. So if we look at the, the the top six, the five US ones and the UK ones all have a very large presence in Australia and BAE Systems, the UK one, is the largest contractor to defence here and all the other five companies, uh, the US ones in the top five, also supply the Australian, Australian government as well. So we're very deeply embedded in the global arms trade and we... Um, send a lot of money their way to those US and UK companies. So it sounds like you're doing a really important uh, job countering or providing some independent research um, as opposed to the coverage that we see in the mainstream media outlets. Are there others who are doing this work as well and how would you suggest listeners um, best look up further information or even get involved in, um, in I guess, supporting independent research? Yes, thank you for that, Emma. Um, and it's a good topic to talk about. So I, I, think, I think one of the reasons why there are so, well, I know from my experience that doing this work takes an incredible amount of time. So, um, it's not easy to find the details. You need to be willing to read government reports that go for hundreds of pages. So yeah. it, it is fine. Um, the way listeners could uh, support this endeavour and these sorts of things are, first of all, uh, like yourself, to um, support independent sources of media. Um, I publish um, my work with Declassified Australia, which is a new 
um, outlets. So they're certainly worth looking at because they look at these sorts of issues. There's also other independent media as well, like Crikey and Michael West, um, Pearls and Irritations is another good blog, which has a lot of um, independent defence commentary. So there's some online resources. Also, the Independent Peaceful Australia Network, which is IPAN, I-P-A-N, uh, does a lot of peace building and disarmament work as a network throughout Australia. So that's a good organisation to make contact with to see what is happening and what, uh, if people want to be a bit more active, what they might do, as well as Melbourne-based but also National Medical Association for Prevention of War. MAPW also does great work and also campaigning. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for joining us on the Radioactive Show. And we'd love to speak to you again sometime about your interesting, valuable research. Oh, thank you, Emma. It's been a pleasure and happy to speak to you anytime. That was Crunch speaking with independent journalist Michelle Fay. And as she said there, there's so many ways to get involved and fantastic organisations that are doing really brilliant work. And now really is the time to build the movement. And there are lots of events coming up organised by the Anti-AUKUS Coalition and the Independent and Peaceful Australian Network alongside many other organisations. You can go to antiaukuscoalition.org to read more about what's going on and find out about events happening in your area. There's many events that are happening online so you can join in from anywhere. There's a national Zoom meeting of the Australian Anti-AUKUS Coalition coming up on Sunday 26th of March at 6.30. We're on the path to war. How can we stop it? Just go to the antiaukuscoalition.org website to register for that event today in Melbourne. There is the Truth Not War rally. So please come on down to the State Library from 1pm. There's going to be a range of fantastic speakers outlining the many and various different issues that this deal raises. There'll be speakers at the State Library, then a march to the Treasury Gardens, followed by some more speakers there. And next Wednesday at the Cinema Nova from 6.30pm, The Road to War will be premiered. It's the latest film by David Bradbury that brings into sharp focus why it's not in Australia's best interest to be dragged into an American-led war with China. And there'll be a question and answer session uh, following the screening with special guests alongside the filmmaker David Bradbury. We'll put up links to all these events and the organisations that we've discussed on today's show with the podcast notes and you can find the Radioactive Show podcast on our 3CR webpage, 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive or subscribe to our podcast on your favourite app. Thanks to the Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth Melbourne for the ongoing support and to the Community Radio Network for getting this show out to radio stations all across the continent. Tune in again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues. And we'll go out today with Moju Change Has to Come.
Can't you hear the bell signal the warning? Here comes the storm. Best we be gone. Out to the street where the legions are forming. I heard the call more than ever before. If we just scream out our screams, we will forget what it means. I am flesh, I am blood. Listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.